Hi, my name's Hudson, and I'm a geoholic. What's crack-a-lacking, you geoholics out there? This is Dr. Nick Smolovsky with another bad elf tech minute for you. Today we're going to be talking about wooden satellites and space junk. Pretty neat. Researchers from Kyoto University in Japan are designing and developing a completely wood-made satellite that at the end of its life will completely burn up on re-entry into the Earth's atmosphere. Uh, set to launch in 2023, the Lignosat uh, is being developed in collaboration with the Japanese logging company Sumitomo Forestry. The reason that they are creating this wooden satellite, I cannot believe that it's wooden, it's hard to actually fathom that we could send something wooden into space and it would be legitimate, is because of all of the space debris cluttering our atmosphere. Currently, there are about 34,000 larger units, such as dis uh, discarded rocket stages, floating around Earth and about 2,500 plus satellites that are no longer in function, and about almost 6,000 more satellites that we know of that are actively functioning. This is a lot of stuff going on in the highway in the sky around our Earth, and I could see why Kyoto University would be wanting to develop a wooden satellite. If you have any questions about this, you can certainly email me at nick, that's N-I-K, that is N as in November, I as in Igloo, K as in Kilo at bad-elf.com, Nick at bad-elf.com. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you again soon. Cheers. Just a quick note to express our appreciation for the 2021 Friends of the Program for their continued support. Please consider their products and services as they have special promos for Geoholics listeners. Aerotech Mapping, Inc., ATMLV.com, Advanced Geodetic Surveys, Inc., AGSGPS.com, Bad Elf GPS, Bad-Elf.com, Cobb Fenley, CobbFenley.com, Cyanic Automation, CyanicAutomation.com, Diamondback Land Surveying, DiamondbackLandSurveying.com, Get Kids Into Survey, GetKidsIntoSurvey.com, Land Surveyors United, LandSurveyorsUnited.com, Mentoring Mondays, MentoringMondays.com, Dot X Y Z, Monson Engineering, MonsonEngineering.com, Parkland Community College, Parkland.edu forward slash land dash surveying, Safety Apparel, SafetyApparel.us, and last but not least, Tiger Supplies, TigerSupplies.com. We built this city. We built this city on rock and roll. Built this city. We built. Perfect song for this episode, boys. You'll see what I mean here in just a few minutes. Happy Groundhog Day, everybody. I know when this gets out, it'll already be past Groundhog Day, of course, but we have to recognize it. Welcome back to the Geoholics. What about that movie? You guys seen that? Oh, absolutely. Great movie. Classic, right? Classic. I uh, One of my favorite lines was, and I, I wrote this down because I could not remember all this. The line was... I was in the Virgin Islands once. I met a girl. We ate lobster, drank pina coladas. At sunset, we made love like sea otters. That was a pretty good day. Why couldn't I get that day over and over and over? <laughs> it does sound like a good day. <laughs> so awesome, yeah. So anyways, we are, uh, we're glad you're with us. This is episode 68. Shoots, what you got for 68, buddy? This is an obvious one. Yamir Yager. 
in 1990, Legend. the fifth overall pick to the Pittsburgh Penguins. And that was after two years of playing in the Czech Republic professionally. Uh, he's a member of the Triple Gold Club. He's got the Stanley Cup, Ice Hockey World Championship, and an Olympic gold medal. Oh, wow. Uh, 1981 to 2001. He's one of three people to win the Art Ross Trophy, the leading scorer in the league. Wow. Who are the other two? Lemieux. Yep. Gretzky. Of course. Boom. It's that easy. He's in the <laughs> Czech Ice Hockey Hall of Fame, and he's still currently playing for his hometown team in the Czech Republic. How old is he? Do you know? I don't know. He's got to be 44. He was like gray no when he was still playing in the NHL. So it might be Tom Brady's age. He had like, when I was reading up on him, the, there was one of the years where he was injured and they like dragged him out for a few like shifts just so he could play oh, in, the, yeah, yeah. in the playoffs and yep. stuff. So awesome. he's near the end, but that that is definitely a Hall of Fame career. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, January came and went in the blink of an eye, which is uh, crazy how fast time is flying. Lots going on with the Geoholics already this year. I'm super excited. A couple items I want to make note of. Be sure to keep an eye open for details about our next virtual hospitality suite, which is going to be next Thursday, actually, uh, the 11th. And it's going to be the second Thursday of every month. Go put that on your calendars, 530 to 7 Arizona time. This month's host is Trent Keenan and Diamondback Land Surveying. So I'm excited to see what he's got to say. He actually sent us a package of stickers off to show you these guys show you the stickers it's awesome glad to hear he's a good guy though. he's a good guy yep and uh what do you think the odds are he'll be drinking old elk whiskey that uh night? i would put just about 100 the, yeah i was gonna say I've 99.9 got, yes minus 400 no plus 700 <laughs> yeah hammer yes there. hammer in the yeah. yes on that one oh, all right all right well, we recently teamed up with the folks at surveyor connect which is pretty exciting wanted to mention that if you don't already know, they're another value-adding online community for surveyors. Check them out at surveyorconnect.com. And finally, just one more thing, uh, just a social media reminder, be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and join our LinkedIn group. Tons of fun stuff going on there. And before we move on, a couple Patreon plugs, some patrons um, that had signed up over the last week. Uh, McKenna Grow. We know her. We do. Uh, Jake Keesby, <laughs> the lovely Carrie, and Michael Thompson, of course. And Michael was kind enough to donate his branded bill hat to producer Jake. He heard my plea he last did. episode. He felt sorry for you. Can you model it for us real quick on the video? Oh, geez. Hold on. Just I like this. this. <laughs> Just like this. There you go. It's pretty cool. <laughs> All right. Uh, that opening number, PJ, who we got there? Jefferson Starship, um, we built this city. So Jefferson Starship, American rock band from San Francisco, California, um, evolved out of the group Jefferson Airplane. Um, they released eight gold and or platinum selling studio albums and had nine top 40 signal singles on the Billboard Hot 100 chart. There you go. That's pretty, pretty successful. Uh, it's not a bad band there, right? Yeah. Uh, our featured friend of the program this week is Cyanic Automation, and Shoots is going to take this. All right, Cyanic Automation. Their job book is a software tool made for land surveyors to manage and run your business. From customer and job tracking all the way to timesheets and invoicing, job book does it all. Uh, they have many things going on. COVID-19 screening and management. Cyanic Automation wants to ensure getting back to work post-COVID-19 is as safe as possible. They design the questionnaire to work with any mobile device. It is short and straightforward, while the app is simple, user-friendly, and an elegant solution to minimize exposure risk. Companies and employees can both use this tool to continue with their everyday tasks and ensure peace of mind. Next up is customer and job management. They work with 
you to customize your customer relationship management module to fit your requirements. We d they design the software to work with your processes and ensure that your specifics are met. Man, oh man, I'm having a rough time. Every time you look at me, I get a little distracted. <laughs> I have that effect on people. I know, it's getting me. Uh, timesheet automation. They work with you to customize your timesheet module to your specific specificities, oh, that's a tough word, specificities and requirements. They design the software to work with your processes. The final product becomes an extremely user-friendly, straightforward, and elegant solution. They can design your HSE system. They work with you to customize a health, safety, and environment HSE module that fits your organization. They design the software to work with your processes and fit your requirements, not the other way around. Cyanic Automation strives to improve human productivity and fulfillment at work. Visit cyanicautomation.com to find out more. Shoot, you're, you, uh, you earned your paycheck this week right there. <laughs> I'm exhausted. Now I'm going to awesome. take a nap. Good job. <laughs> Good job. All right, time for our weekly pod word. So Ooh. this is our first episode of February. Okay, I don't want anybody to, confu anybody to be confused. So the pod word for this episode is automation. Ah, Makes sense, right? Goes along, cyanic automation. I was going to guess groundhog. No, oh, that would have been a good one. Too. That's, <laughs> is that one word? I don't know. I think so. If you're talking about the animal, right? Could be, yeah. You know, groundhog, the animal's just one word. I think so. I think you're right. We could have used that. But nah, uh, let's automation. not confuse. Automation. automation. Automation it is. Automation it is. So we have to draw for our January listener prize. So You got to shake the hat in the camera so everybody knows it's legit. How's that? All right. That'll work. There you go. Let's see who we got here. Ooh, a former guest of the program. No. Yes. Who Mr. Indiana Gooch. Oh, <laughs> he's going to love this. Gooch. Zach Gooch. I love it. All right, Zach. Congratulations, yep. Mr. Gooch. Congratulations. That'll be a $100 Amazon gift card coming your way. So um, I'll be sure to get your email address and have it sent to you that way. So uh, next month, for all of our loyal listeners, we'll be giving away a watercolor self-portrait painted by Connie Barrett. Check her out on Facebook. She's doing some really cool stuff, you know, focusing on surveyors. And I was really excited when she agreed to donate a personalized painting to the Jailhawks podcast. So that's going to be a really cool gift next month. So it pays to listen, I guess, is where I'm going with this. And we're still not eligible. No. Oh. No. If you want one, you got to pay Connie. Oh, how do I know, Connie? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's catch up with the boys. PJ, what's up, man? All right, I want to make this super quick, but I have to touch on this. I know we talk about football all the time. Obviously, Super Bowl this weekend on Sunday. My Kansas City Chiefs, very fittingly, today, one year ago, February 2nd, Kansas City Chiefs win Super Bowl um, LIV. So, um, going to run it back this weekend and super excited. We talked a little bit before the show about Baby Goat, a.k.a. Patrick <laughs> Mahomes. So, excited to watch him and, and take home um, our third Super Bowl. A little cocky there, but had well, to. see what happens. Well, how, how confident are you? We talked about this bet last week. What, do you, what we're, are you thinking? We're, we're, I'm in on everything. You're in on it? I'm just, in on just everything. Just a Lego set versus Pink, Pink Whitney. Whitney. All yep. right. But if they if they cover the line, is the ISS on the table? No, nah, I can't no? do that. That's too much. That's too much. <laughs> Hudson was very excited about the possibility You can't of that. talk me into that. I one. said maybe you can borrow it and then give it back to him after you build it. There you go. <laughs> um to go off of what Jake normally talks about, that SpaceX stuff today. That was that cool. Was, I was watching it, and then it like exploded, and immediately I'm like, oh, shit. 
Mm-hmm. And then the guy that like comes on with the calmest voice, he's like, "This is just this a is test. a good thing." Yeah, yeah. he's <laughs> like, "We got all the data. It's just a test." And I was like, "You are so much calmer than I would be at that job." Well, it's so funny uh, too because it literally—I mean—they just launched those things like nothing. And even in the frame of where it crashed, you can see the ten ready to go, and it's going to go up here in like what a couple of months or something. Mm-hmm. So those things are so disposable that one crashes, they get what they need, they load it up into the next one, set it off, and they just—it's it's like almost like a like steps ladders getting yeah. to the, and. It, it's just crazy. Any idea what they were looking at today? Well, today was the high altitude one. Okay. So it was like turning it vertical, horizontal, and back. Well, they did that before, but now this it's like it was just like at a higher okay. altitude this time. I, I, don't quote me on this, but I think it was like eight kilometer or something. Gotcha. And just a real quick note: I hope our video is better than NASA's. It was I awful. Was, I was on NASA's and it was like a phone shaking. Yeah, it was the whole, terrible. I was driving me nuts, so I had yep. to switch over to the SpaceX one, and yeah. it was professionally done. NASA mm-hmm. doesn't have the budget we have. Apparently, <laughs> the hard part with the SpaceX stream with these ones is they go live like three minutes before it start starts. So you got to like be sitting like you have to know it's coming. Yeah. Just I think, I think uh, Biden already made the cuts there. And well, and, you know, we're <laughs> first gonna, thing to go is the camera. Yeah. Our, our camera work's going to go downhill because Jake's going to leave to take over Bezos' spot. <laughs> yeah. I suggested him for the job. Oh, man. I'm concerned about my Amazon stock right about now. Ah, it'll be fine. Let's see what happens. What about you? What's up? What's up? Um, speaking of stock, am I the only one that lost money on AMC and Nokia? GameStop? Just about broke even. <laughs> I had entertainment costs. So, note to self. One, don't take stock tips from PJ. I knew you were going to say this. <laughs> Two, the same guy that I made a whole bunch of money on Penn, and you go, why aren't you telling me about this stuff? So I tried Two, to get you in. If anything seems too good to be true, it probably is. It freaking is. Yeah. Don't fall for it. That's that's the saying that holds true. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, for every person that made a million dollars or whatever these stories are, there's a million suckers like us who lost money on it. So it's yeah. got to come from somewhere. We, we just got say. in a little bit too late in the game. That's yeah. it. That's uh-huh. it. Um, all right, let's move on. Safety apparel, safety share. Shoots, what you got? Um, I got the top four areas of injury on construction sites. Falling, being struck by caught in or electrocuted those are the top four uh to avoid falling just a couple of quick tips about each one falling wear personal fall arrest equipment and set up a perimeter protection struck by wear high visibility clothing never position yourself between moving and fixed objects caught in never enter an unprotected trench five feet or deeper without a protective system in place an electrocution Locate and identify utilities before starting work and maintain a safe distance away from power lines. Use ground fault surge protectors. Really good. Hey, I, good tried to, I tried to tailor too. it to, you know, the guests. Yeah, yeah perfect. Well done. And to go along with that, the uh, of course, the, 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 the Starship or Jefferson Starship song was Built This City. Tonight's episode we're calling Construction Staking 101. We've got a couple guys with us tonight who have been doing construction staking Oh my gosh, for a, what probably combined 50 years, I have no idea. But I'm going to let them introduce themselves. And uh, if you guys would, just give us your name, how long you've been serving, who you work for, what you do, and here's the funny part, what your autobiography would be called. So, Brandon, I'm going to let you go first, buddy. Oh, well, you know, Kent, you said earlier, uh, what did we say before the podcast about making, it's the true meaning of life is making friends and adding value. So now I just realized Jake and I can't be friends because I'm a 49ers fan. So <laughs> last year was brutal, a Ooh. great year. And then Garoppolo just wasn't the guy I thought mm-hmm. he was going to be. But anyway, one pass. Well, one pass. Anyway, um, Brandon Jones, I've been uh, graduate high school in 94, was going to go on and be a math teacher or a civil engineer, but dodge that bullet and um 
went ahead and got my associate's degree, grew up in a little town in Northern Arizona, and I worked for uh, Navajo County, the public works department, got on with the survey crew in the summertime job and fell in love with it. And I moved out here in uh, 1997 from Holbrook, Arizona is where I was living mm-hmm. and got on with uh, Stanage and Truett Engineering right before they sold to Agra and then AMIC. And um, anyway, yeah, just worked my way up the ranks. Um, became a partner of a firm in 2003 and became licensed in 2009, took over the department and uh, just recently resigned from that uh, company and started my own business, Benchmark Surveying here at, uh, in October of last year. October so, of last year. That's awesome. Everything going good yeah. on that? You staying busy? Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Very busy. It's expensive in case you didn't know that already, but you <laughs> yeah. know, it, I tried that it's, once. <laughs> it, it's the man, it's the managing of the, you know, the peaks and the valleys. It's like, Oh you know, shit, we don't have enough people to, yeah. oh, what are we going to do tomorrow? You know, it's that, that's how construction is. But uh, I think that's one of the things we've got callous to is that it's very cyclical. Yep. Usually when you're worrying about work at noon, by four o'clock, you don't have enough people for the next day. So that's so true. So true. If everybody had, if every, if everybody had like three of our next guests on their payroll, they'd be fine. Tell us about. Oh wait, wait, no. Before we go, Brandon, what's your auto autobiography going to be called? Wow. That's I, you know, I think <laughs> you spur that one on me too quick, but it's probably. Uh, yeah, I don't know. That's uh, okay. Well, what's what's the last thing you ate? <laughs> what about high you know what? stakes? Oh, that's hey, that's a good one. You know, I have uh, I'm very like uh, nostalgic. Uh-huh. I was out in the field, and it reminds me. So I was just I stopped by to get a soda, and there was a Vienna fingers, which are like the cookies. Yeah. And I don't know why. I don't even remember the last time I had those, but yeah. Um, Maybe then it's nostalgia. Maybe that's the. There you go. I love I love those things. Jason, tell us about you, man. Uh, I started uh, surveying in 1997 back in Illinois. Uh, started off as an instrument operator. Uh, built my way up in the construction field. Had a real good mentor back in Illinois at V3. And here I am today, 24 years later now, um, being the best I could be as a construction surveyor. Uh, basically, I just, uh, what do I do all the time? Uh, that's... Just strictly, just strictly putting in sticks in the ground. Um, um. Yeah, I'll plug Jason a little bit. We were talking before the show. I've known Jason for about twenty years, and uh, we met working for V three in Chicago, and then I moved out here with V three in two thousand five. Jason came out here and helped on a couple projects, uh, some big staking projects with us, and just always stayed in touch. Uh, previous firm we were both at Bowman, Bowman yep. uh, Jason's still at Bowman. Uh, and I actually, we were needing somebody bad and I'm like, okay, the best construction staking party chief I know is Jason Rogers. Let's get him. So we moved him out here and, uh, yeah, absolute rock star as far as that goes. So we got a good, good perspective here. We have Brandon, you know, who's been managing survey groups and construction projects and field crews and Jason who's out there, you know, pounding sticks in the ground every day, dealing with contractors and everything like that. So we're going to have a really good conversation here. So the general topic of this episode is construction staking, as I mentioned. So this discussion, we're basically include the kind of the life cycle of a construction staking project and really just kind of what it takes to be successful at this type of work. Cause it's probably some of the most challenging stuff we do. Um, let's, let's get into it. You know, the project kickoff, uh, Brandon, I'm going to start with you on this, the importance of the contractor proposal language when it comes to construction staking projects. You know, I, I think scope, scope, if I, you know, scope is the number one, 
I think a killer and I, and there's different ways of approaching it, but I've always done my best to be as thorough, absolutely as thorough as I can on the scope. Cause it, so many times it comes down to the cutthroat fees, you know, and, uh, and, and I've been guilty of that too as well. But um, when you look f- future questions down the road of like managing scope or change orders uh, or, you know, that is the biggest thing. So like, I don't get um, too caught up in the legal language of it. I haven't, and that's just been, dumb luck, I guess, because I have just worked with good contractors and good clients and good uh, uh, firms and owners that have, you know, I haven't been screwed over on, but um, scope items are something and really relaying what's happening in the field. A lot of times the scope is put together by uh, someone in an office who thinks this is the, you know, when they need blue tops every 25 feet, when you know, when you show up on a site, they're just going to want them every 50 or they want sewer stakes every 75, you get on site, you know, they're going to ask for 25 for intervals. So those are the things I try and help a lot of clients rewrite their scope, make suggestions or redline their scope and send it back to them. And usually they take it as pretty valuable feedback. So. And let's face it, I mean, a lot of times, you know, you can have the best written scope or the best written contract, and what ends up happening is you end up signing the contractor's contract anyways, which basically right. says you're going to do whatever we want you to do for this amount of money, unfortunately. <laughs> so, um, But still, I think it's really important to have very clear and concise contract or proposal language, especially when it comes to, to scope. Um, and Jason, I mean, you, you're, you're kind of on the, the, the short end of the stick on this part of the conversation because you got the guys in the office that are preparing these proposals and they're like, this should only take this long. This should only take this long. This is the way I'm looking at this. And then, you know, they win the job. Jason, you're our guy. It's all yours. And you don't really get looped into the contract portion of it. No, and I think sometimes the office tends to not – put their party chiefs in the right position sometimes. You know, they may bid the work on one party chief and then mm. another party chief gets out there to do it. Yep. They may not be as fast. They may not be as accurate. Um, so then that pushes the budget and or the scope and like, hey, why did it take you 40 hours to do, you know, 200 stakes? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. Absolutely. That happens all the time. Um, just like number one reason why it's so hard to make money at this stuff, you know? Um, but that's why we're having this conversation. Let's talk about relationship building. So Jason on the field side, you know, talk about the importance of, you know, building a relationship with the superintendent, right? Right from the get go. Yeah. I'm, I've always from day one, uh, I always introduce myself. I get on there on the site. I ask him what his needs are. I explain myself and how I work um, to be able to then, uh, kind of work it to one hand washes the other type of thing. So I know what his needs are. Hey, some things aren't going to be possible, but this way, when it comes down to it, he can work with you to get the contractor not to maybe do every 25 feet, to maybe be able to stake it every uh-huh. 50 feet on things. And when that happens, that's just a good rapport, especially when something does go bad, he's more likely to be on your side. Yep, and building that rapport right from day one, like you say, is – Priceless. Absolutely. So Brandon, you on the, uh, let's talk about, you know, building out those relationships, you know, during the negotiation of the contract and that type thing. So, you know, you're dealing with the project managers of the general contractors a lot. Yeah. And I think I echo what uh, Jason said, that communication in the beginning. I mean, I, when I was taking notes to, as rough answers, communication almost comes up every time. And yep. I think a lot of it is so much can get lost in the translation of what's being requested, especially for someone who's not familiar with what is actually needed in the field. Mm. Um, but when your crew chief can head a lot of that off, uh, you know, in the field as far as 
um, that communication. What I learned um, as of coming up the ranks is those people you're working alongside in the field um, will one time probably be calling the shots or they're going to be the guy making the decisions. And those relationships did me so much uh, good throughout my career as we're coming out of the recession for a lot of those people that worked alongside mm. and communicated with and not just showing up to say, hey, I'm here to do X, Y, Z and leave and, and not try and get them what they want. You know, that's a tough balance. The crew chief is a tough job because you, you do have a contract and a scope and a boss, mm. you know, an expectation, but you've got a client or contractor here who is trying to get his scope and his keep his boss happy. So that's a good balance, I think, of uh, a good crew chief is like the guy out there communicating with. On my end, that's the big thing. A lot of the guys I'm dealing with now are guys I worked alongside and appreciated mm. my effort at that time. Yep. You know, that's what we really try and preach to our crew chiefs is like, don't go out there and just tell the guy where to go and how to get there. And I'm not getting, I'm not doing that. Screw you. I mean, it because mm. when sometimes they're calling the shots and they remember that. Yeah, they can make your life absolutely miserable. Yeah. No doubt about it. No, I think the one of the you know the moral of that story is just don't burn any bridges. You know, absolutely any, never. That's right. No question. Right. <laughs> uh, project execution. So the uh, I think you know construction staking is probably some of the riskiest work that a company can do. Um, Brandon, what are some ways that you know just based on your experience, ways that you can kind of mitigate that risk right from the get go? One of the things we try to adopt is two man crews regardless. I mean, we, um, you know, in, in the recession, it was tough because budgets just didn't account for it. But what we realized was that, you know, the loss in, the loss in productivity and the risk was just not worth it. And so we've been really big on two man crew, one for the efficiency, but for safety is, especially in the summer, we, we've had people just collapse on sites, you know, and they've been by themselves for, you know, I talked with Tim Evans today and couldn't make it today, but he was like running down the side of the mountain from Cave Creek because he wasn't feeling good. And he's like, I got to get, I got to get somewhere where in case I fall over, it's not a coyote that's, you know, eating me. It's someone that can save me. And so yeah. um, also we, we, we kind of, I try and keep an open door policy with my employees and, and basically it's a safety. If it, if you feel it's risky, then I don't, I don't question it. You know I mean? I don't ask people to play in traffic if they don't feel comfortable. I don't ask them to go down and get an invert of a trench if you don't feel comfortable. I mean, we, there's ways around that stuff and a lot more people who are less concerned about safety that are willing to, to take those risks. But for me, I have a family guy and I know everybody else is a family. It's like, get, get home. So yep. we, it's very much, if you don't, I don't question the, if you don't feel safe, then that's good enough for me. Yeah, for sure. That's kind of like that uh, stop work authority. Right. Right. Yep. Yep. How about you, Jason? What uh, on on the field side specifically? What are some things that you can do or that uh, you've learned to do to mitigate risk? Yeah, I mean, my mentor Harry Sulik, um, he pretty much taught me from day one. He's like, you know, you can't fix stupid. I mean, if it doesn't feel right, don't do it. Yep. Um, so I, you know, I do look at the the stop, look and listen. You know, see what's around you. Um, you know. Don't just jump down into a, a trench without looking if it's been wet or if there's construction next to it, if there's machines running. You, you just never know. It's it's always being alert. I mean, the main word is alert. Yep. Um, if you're not alert, that's how accidents are going to happen. Um, no question. Um, situational awareness is absolutely key. And something else I want to bring up here is having two-man crews, absolutely. Huge believer in that, you know, especially on construction side or when working in public right away. Um 
the thing is, I mean, you know, both of you guys have been doing this for 20 plus years. You know, you, you get it. You inherently know what to look for because you've been doing it for so long. Lots of times you might be paired up with a young guy who's really there just as a second set of hands um, that you need to also be looking out for. Sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that. Um, it's not even just a second set of hands. It's also to identify all sorts of safety. Um, if whether you're just telling him, hey, keep an eye on my back side, uh, let mm-hmm. me take care of this. Um, and it goes back to the efficiency of safety because if you're not and you're trying to do everything yourself, you're not going to be as efficient. You're going to be tired more and then accidents happen. Yep. Yep. And it's like the first thing that you should talk about every single day. You know, when you get in the truck, talk about something safety related. You know, I know sometimes we take things for granted, unfortunately, and it kind of gets overlooked, whatever. But, you know, just get in the habit of having that conversation, especially if you're working with somebody who's pretty green, you know. Um, you know, like Brandon said, I mean, the goal is everybody gets home safe at night to their families. So um, let's move on to communication. Again, I mean, this is probably something we're going to talk about as, on each of these points of the project. But, you know, we talked about communication, you know, with the, uh, with the superintendent. And one of the things here is, again, going back to, you know, when we prepare these proposals for these projects, we're taking, in most cases, a perfect scenario in mind, you know, but that's never the case. There's always, always changes, always unforeseen, um, you know, hurdles that need to be overcome, blah, blah, blah. But lots of times, I think the the superintendent is either going to make or break the project for you because if that superintendent is not really good at his job, you know, maybe he's new to that role, whatever that makes your job or our job really, really difficult. Um, and, and just like you guys were mentioning in the beginning, you know, you propose the project to take it one way, the superintendent, he's got it in his mind that he wants it done a completely different way. How do you, how do you guys deal with that situation, Brandon? Well, I think, I think it's important to, in the beginning, as surveyors, especially in construction, to understand that there's two things. One, um, <clears throat> well, once you understand these things, it's easier to communicate it. But we're the only trade, basically, that's on the site from start to finish. You know, trades come and go, but the surveyor is there from, from raw dirt to paved streets. And what that means is that every trade needs you. Every tra- you know, you, you are the, you do become the most necessary tool on the site. And the sooner that, you know, I mean, that's riding this border of arrogance, but you have to kind of get to a point where, listen, like I, you can't, this can't go on without me. So if, if things are getting, you know, heated or unnecessary and you know, they're not paying their change orders or whatever, you know, you have to be able to uh, that's what what I like about this side of it is understanding that I I know what those guys are going through in the field. I understand that they're being asked to do ridiculous things, and and so those that communication back to me as well as the communication in like like Jason said, if you head that off with the communication, a lot of that stuff gets squashed in the beginning. It's the guys that are out there leaving it, coming and going. I showed up to do my scope, and every time I got to jump over here to do one extra thing, I'm sending you a bill. I mean that all those things will just start to build and build and build, and then becomes just a toxic a work site, um, which is killer on the budget. It's killer on guys like Jason who are out there just trying to get the job done and everybody's angry. So <clears throat> I think it's, you know, like I said, it starts, it starts in the beginning, but I think it's important for surveyors, especially in construction, to understand that, you know, you are the most valuable tool. I mean, that that's really some place you got to get to. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's important, you know, every single day you show up on a construction site, check in, 
with the superintendent in the morning. Okay. Check in whenever that time is that you're leaving. Just make sure that he tells you, yep, we're good, we're good. Otherwise, you know, if you leave without doing that, chances are they're going to be like, oh, you, you didn't do this. You got to come back. You didn't do this. You got to come back. And then all of a sudden things go go sideways. So it's good to try to avoid that all at all costs. Um, a couple of things like project control, for example. Um, we know the importance of that. Um Field notes, office calcs. Jason, talk about project control. What are what are some things you like to do when setting project control? Uh, I try to do it up. I noticed here in Arizona that they tend to use GPS a lot. I come from the Midwest, which is total, total station. So when I set my control GPS, I tend to set it in volumes of being able to set up my total station without having to set up GPS every time. Mm. Some things are just a little bit quicker. Um, I try to do it in enough angles, uh, one in the center of the site, you know, three or four on the property corners, um, just so that there's all aspects. I try to set it up higher so that if things get in the way, mm. um, you know, fences, machines are parked so that you always have a good line of sight. Yep. Yep. And as far as like, I mean, how, how do you keep these contractors from running over these things? I, know, I, sometimes it's just unavoidable. Um, any tricks or anything to... Uh, yeah, um, most of the time I try to set, like, crosses, something that's not just a rebar in the middle of a dirt where there's a lot there. I'll tend to set, put on things on permanent things, concrete mm-hmm. bolts or something, mm-hmm. um, maybe fire hydrants, things that aren't going to move at all. So that way it's always going to be there. They're not going to run a fire hydrant. I mean, they could, but most of the time you can set it on permanent things uh, where it's not just rebar in the crown. And if you do, you basket it up as best you can, and you communicate to the superintendent this is my control. Anything in that color and that pink, keep them away of it. The more they run it over, the less I'm going to be productive for you because yep. now I got to come back. And normally, superintendents will tend to talk to the contractors and make sure they can, you know, stay away from it as best they can. Yeah, as long as you have that respectful, uh, you know, correspondence, that communication mm-hmm. right from the beginning, um, that just gets everything off on the right foot for sure. Uh, Brandon, do you got anything else you want to add to control, or do you want to talk about field notes? Oh, you know, you can write biohazard on the left too, or, you know, danger, you know, toxic gas or something. <laughs> we released it. Um, what, you know, I think it's important to, when you're setting your crew chief up to succeed is understanding the project boundaries, the project limits. A lot of times the guys set control points and my like, man, there's a future basin going in there, or that's part of the R&R and the improvements don't set it there. So um, definitely agree with Jason as far as like, you know, setting control that's accessible both with the level and with your GPS, what, what's, you know, a lot of the, I know this is a further down discussion items, but it's getting to a point now where a lot of contractors are running their own machine control, they're running their own GPS. And so they're requesting a lot of these control points uh, on the site. And so it's actually been a benefit because that's been a big struggle, you know, pushing efficiency about, come on, get out there, get the job done. Everyone's running and, and but having those guys running their own, um, I didn't like it at first, but now I realize that you know, if they're coming off, they're going to see the things that you, you skipped or if you didn't take your time, somebody else is behind you, um, you get a little bit of a safety net there, but it's good to just have it start good from the beginning. That way, you know, same thing. It just turns into a good relationship and there's trust involved right from the start. Yeah. And I mean, I know some of the sites, like even sites that I've worked on with Jason, where they're super tight and compact, like these construct or these uh, apartment complexes, they're just stuffing on a small parcel, underground parking. I and mean, it is probably one of the most chaotic 
work environments one could possibly <laughs> be exposed to. It's freaking insane. It takes a certain kind of person to deal with those kind of stresses for sure. Yeah, uh, I totally agree. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. Brandon, talk about field notes. I'm, I'm not sure where you stand on field notes. I'm kind of an old school guy. I think that, you know, handwritten field notes in a field book is something that is uh, is priceless, basically. Yeah, I totally agree. We, I think, you know, starting in the mid-90s, that's that's the way we were taught. We, we definitely – as we grew from time to time, that stuff becomes a little less, little less, but you know, I've got, I just got some from one of our crews we have. And I was like, it was like, it was my nostalgia and I wanted to kiss the guy, but it, I didn't, I didn't kiss him, but it was one of those things where it's been a while since we've seen good field notes. You know, the, the, the problem is that uh, it, they just take time, you know, and, they do. and on a construction site, it, it really, you have to, uh, you know, your manager and the guy has to be way out ahead of that, we're breaking ground on Wednesday and being out there two days before and giving someone the time to do it. That's been the biggest thing is, is time becomes an issue, but then all it turns into nothing but problems at the end. It costs you more money in the end of not having good field notes. So True. I'm a big, I am a big believer in nothing like flip, you know, flipping over the field book to be like, Hey, there's a, this guy set a benchmark on his power pole or cotton spindle and it's still there, you know, and, it, mm-hmm. and you know, it's solid and you, and so, yeah, I mean, I'm a, I'm a big proponent of it. Although we did, you know, there is times where you just like, you're still out there setting control. You're still out there <laughs> running level loop. Or there's the guys that come back and say, I closed that level loop within three thousandths. You know, yeah. I'm like, you're running a linker ride. Yeah. <laughs> it's always yeah. done. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. And then sometimes, I mean, the field notes, I guess this is another way to look at it. I mean, that's kind of like the, your only. I don't know, like if, 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 if you get a cue, like back charges and stuff like that, you know, we can, we can go down a whole other path about that. But sometimes the field yeah. notes are the only record you have that could save you um, for certain kinds of back charges, you know, that you might be getting accused of. So, I, I mean, I just, I personally think field notes are just, um, like I say, invaluable. What do you think, Jason? Are you on that same? Uh, uh, I think for some of it, it is, uh-huh. but some things it's not. I mean, I think the, with all the technology we have today, the data collector is always your job file is going to give you every record that whatever you did. So if you stake something wrong, you can download that job and it's there. Now running a level circuit, yeah, all that, your station setup, what you set up, your mm-hmm. HIs, yeah, that's all field stuff that's going to be good. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it's, hey, a manhole got staked wrong, that's going to come back to your TSC3. It's going to come back in your, in your job folder to be able to see that, which you would be able to see. Mm-hmm. Um what about what I guess what you can't track? I mean, I guess you can. I mean, I've got when I was doing a lot of construction staking at Bowman. I mean, in my mind, I was almost getting to the point because I mean, CYA. It's like you were doing CYA was what you were focused on every single day because these contractors are just like nitpicking you anytime something's wrong. Blame the surveyor. Um, I, so I mean, I'm like, it's almost gets to the point where in, this isn't tracked in in the uh in, in the data collector. You know, you, what you write on the lath. You know, cut four point three five. That's not tracked in the data collector so you never know what's getting written on the lath so i'm like it's almost getting to the point where you got to take a picture of every single freaking lath so if they come back and accuse you of something you can be like nope here's that lath this is what was written on it you know that type thing that is yeah. tough you yeah. can't you, you definitely can't control that I yeah because most of the time that lath is gone <laughs> yeah yeah yep but i mean if you had a picture of it you know you'd have that uh to fall back on what do you think brandon am i crazy well, i no, no, I, I think it's all a good theory, I, but I, you're right. It's always something we, we always battle with that. And I think a, a lot of it is even with the pictures. I mean, we've had notes of, of literally like, 
you know, here's the steak. Oh, you just made that in your truck before you walked over here. You know, like it's, it's just never ending regard, even with field notes, you know, even your data collector file, the guys are going to think you, they don't know enough about the technology to understand that I didn't just recreate it. It has a timestamp on it, et cetera. But, um, but, but we, we got to the habit of like, Hey, cut four thirty-five, And then we wouldn't leave the steak until it was repeated. I mean, mm. we've had, I mean, we, we had an, an instance where we stick a bore pit it was probably 30 feet deep on an asphalt, a 10 and a 15 foot offset on asphalt, no elevation change or maybe a hundred between the two, the guy was a, busted it by a foot. Well, mm. when they, they covered the 10 foot offset with dirt and used the 15. And of course, which one do you think was wrong? The 15 foot offset was wrong, right? Of course. Dug down, bored the, bored the sewer line a foot off. And so, but I mean, even running out there and sleeping it off and was like, it, we found it. Like, hey, this is like, well, you had one that was wrong. Unfortunately, that's what, so, I mean, even though we had proof that like, guys, if you see a discrepancy, say something that, that goes back to even the communication, like Jason was talking, if you build that rapport with those contractors and you answer the call of stress of like, Hey, something's not looking right. Cause the first time they say it doesn't look right and you tell them, stop bothering me. They don't call you anymore. They yep. build up for your stakes, but having those good relationships of like, Hey, Brandon, something's not looking funny and making it your first priority to get out there. Only yeah. to find, even if you find out nothing's wrong, those guys will continue to appreciate that because they, they're trying to keep moving and stay productive too. They don't, you know, but then again, I've seen head walls 12 feet in the air because they, they missed the standpipe stake, you know, the standpipe next to it. They got switched around and built this head wall. I wish I had a picture of it down on the road. It was 10 feet in the air, head wall for an irrigation because one stake for a standpipe, it's supposed to be 10 feet in the air. You know, it's got, <laughs> and yeah, there was a stake that said it, but it was the wrong one. But at that point, it's like, you know, you drop a stake, like you said, you get a picture of it, but standing over here on this nail now, it's the same, just in the wrong position. So, yeah. 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 No, it's absolutely so frustrating. And you mentioned it. I mean, and, and absolutely golden rule. If you establish those relationships right from the get go with the curb guys, with, you know, all the subcontractors on the site. And if they see something wrong and they like you, they're not going to hesitate to, uh, you know, ping you and be like, Hey, you know, Jason, Brandon, whatever. Um, I think the stake's wrong, you know, give you a chance to go out there and fix it. Nobody's perfect. You know, Yep. No, and I think that when I was running a crew, that was a lot of like, here's my number. Call me for questions. Don't call me for scheduling. That was always a big no, no, you know, committing mm. to things before. I didn't know what was going on for everybody else, but that uh, opening that line of communication and it meant it meant for some phone calls I couldn't do anything about really. But yep. at the same time, they knew I was trying and there was a, you know, it was, I was extending my olive branch to them and they appreciated it. Yeah. yeah, I'm kind of with you, Brandon. I'd rather them call me first than my boss first. If there's something mm -hmm. wrong, call me because he don't need to deal with that first. Call me first. Maybe I can remember in my head. Maybe I can work with it. Maybe I can just figure it out right from right from where I'm at in my data collector. Then if there's not and there's not enough proof there, then I'm going to say, hey, Doug or whoever, Kent, hey, I'm going to have to go out and take a look at this. Something's wrong. It's not jiving versus them just going and building it or calling the office and then, you know, you blowing a gasket first. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. No, absolutely. Totally agree. Let's talk just a little bit about, you know, office calcs. I don't want to spend a ton of time on this, but I think, again, this goes back to communication. You know, you got the guy in the office who, you know, has never seen the site before. He's just in there, you know, snapping coordinates, snapping coordinates on offsets, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, again, I think it's important that, you know, Jason, for you, you know, an example, you know, it's important that you have open lines of communication with whoever's doing the calcs in the office and be like, Hey, I, I need this. I don't need all that. Just give me this. And that's all I need. 
Yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, we've came a long way, like you said, with technology. We don't need every point calc for us. With technology, we can just create our lines. You know, we can do our own station offset. Give me the center line. I'll pull the offsets in the off in the field, um, and it's quicker. Sometimes it's way quicker. Uh-huh. So, yep, yep. But you get those guys that are literally. Let's see, Michael was Michael. Pl- Plumber, what was his name that we had on here? And he's like, you got these guys out there that are just simply appliance operators. Uh-huh. They don't, they don't know what they're <laughs> doing. They just go out there with a point sheet and a coordinates in their data collector, and they're just setting points. They don't know why they're doing it, but they're just doing it. Yeah, I call them button pushers. <laughs> button pushers, appliance <laughs> yeah. operators. We've all, we've all seen it, right? And it's a dangerous place to be, that's for sure. Um, obviously, you know, when in the heat of the battle, you're always looking for ways to be more efficient. And I think we've actually already probably you know beat this one into the ground um you know it, it this boils down to having that those open lines of the communication with the superintendents and everybody else that's involved with the site you know if you are constantly communicating with them that's going to save everybody headaches you know like lots of times i know jason we've had this happen a number of times where somebody would call me like you know i want you to stake you know whatever you know this this section of curb and then you go out there and it's like they aren't even close to being ready to stake that section of curve. You know, there's dirt, there's this, there's that. Um, those things can be avoided. Would you agree? Yeah, I agree. Um, I think definitely I try to f- ask before I leave the site, what's next in your line? Yeah. You know, give me that advance notice so that I can have it ready before I get there. Mm-hmm. So. Yep. You got anything to add to that, Brandon? Well, I said Jason's speaking my language over there. That, you know, we, we ran at, at the peak of the stuff. I ran 24 crews just doing construction staking. You know, we had two CAD operators. So, you know, I've been interviewed. I have interviewed at places with they got more CAD technicians and they have survey crews. And it's like, don't call anybody. It's fine. We have, I mean, don't get your, you don't even need your calculator. And to me that, you know, that's doing a disservice to one, the guy in the field who's trying to make a career of this needs to learn, but we provide support and some things are necessary. But like I said, if you're calculating a two foot offset for everything and you get up there, it turns out two foot off doesn't work. They need a five foot offset. The guy's got to figure it out anyway. So yep. we're big on providing office calcs with a, with a, with minimal control and sending them out with a set of plants. Listen, I mean, mm-hmm. that was a big eye opener for me, recognizing everything as silly as it sounds was perpendicular and parallel. I mean, it mm-hmm. very simple and nothing you couldn't do with a right triangle. You know, once you understand those simple concepts, you just need some centerline control or you just need a few property corners. I mean, and, and so we're big on providing that support when it's needed. And I, I always will challenge them to say, you really need this. Why don't you think about it for 10 minutes? And then call me back and see if you need it. You know, and a yep. lot of times the callback is, hey, I got to figure it out. I just did this and this and this. And we're big on pushing them. Hey, make a decision mm. in the field, you know, and then let's talk about it. Because chances are they're not going to construct it in the next 30 minutes. Well, sometimes that's the case. But yep. chances are we can get out there and make, but but give them an opportunity. That's how you learn. And then, you know, just being big on plan reading is so important, I think, for mm. these construction guys. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. Um, let's talk about the qualities of what or, you know, what makes a good construction staking surveyor? What, what, what qualities do you think those folks possess? And uh, Jason, you go first. What, what does it take to be good at what you do? <laughs> it definitely takes a calm, calm mind first. You have to be calm. You can't go out there and just with everybody attacking you and be able to try to just go and go gung ho on everything. Yeah. Um, second would be, uh, being able to see uh, differences, find differences, um, to be able to know when something is wrong. If your calc in the field is different than what's in the office. Uh, so quality, he has to have quality. 
Um, he's got to be, uh, I think, thick, quick thinking as well. Mm-hmm. Um, as well, those are probably the three top that I would have to say that has to make a good party chief, and he has to be able to um, show efficiency. He's got to be efficient. He has to know when he can have that tolerance of error versus when he has to be exact right on. Mm, yeah, really good point. Really good point, Brandon. What do you got to add to that? Yeah, I think um, obviously communication. Like we said, we beat that uh, to death. But I think um, the the calmness Jason talked about is very important, and I think that's a lot about when I was thinking about this topic is that it becomes the black sheep because it can be such a rough, um, it's just a rough industry out there, but it doesn't only, it's only as rough as you make it. I think a lot of the communication is, yeah, you get up there, it's probably going to be a war zone, especially those apartment complexes. I mean, you know, a lot of times we're like, I got out there and this, they're asking for this again. And this pile is over here. And I'm like, like, that's a construction site, you know? So you, that's what we learned real quick is that, you, you know, you, you're just either bred for it or you're not. I mean, I, I've made a living doing construction staking, even though I feel like it's been the black sheep of the surveying industry. You're not a surveyor, you're a construction staker. And that's always drove me nuts. But um, I think I wanted to kind of be that crew chief in the beginning that that was kind of different than everyone. He wasn't the guy that he wasn't the drug addict. He wasn't the guy who was that, that was in and out of there and didn't didn't want to do the things that, that helped the project move forward, was on there to do his job and to leave. And so um, that's one thing. Um, the other thing is um, being making decisions on the fly is very important. I think for us, knowing being well-rounded and understanding um, when you're doing rough grade on a site, you have a set of tolerances, both vertically and horizontally. You got That's the biggest thing I think that um, the crew chiefs for construction staking don't get enough credit for is that you literally can leave one, one task on one job site, drive to another, and you're staking concrete or you're staking building corners, and everything you just did is completely different. It's different equipment, it's different tolerances, it's just different procedures. And so, for a new guy, they're just like, "We're just slamming hubs in here." Nope, get the tacks. What are those? You know, nope, we're doing this. Nope, measure it again, measure it again, measure it again. And I think that makes a good chief is someone who's well-rounded enough in the skills to understand that you got to know what your tolerances are, um, what your offsets need to be offsets right looking upstream just understanding how site's going to get constructed i think is makes a good cheat because it saves a lot of the calls you know and i'm like i don't know what to do in this case just most of the good ones you send them on your worst jobs with no budget you know that's (laughs) i always hated is the 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 more i got the it's like why am i doing this this guy's doing curb staking those tangent roads you got me over here doing these stupid roundabouts you know it was always like um, but that's where it got to the point is that I was the guy they could trust, you know, and that's, I was the guy that was not going to make the mistake. And so for yep. me, it's a, it's a well-rounded, uh, individual that understands all aspects from start to finish of the site. So the better you are at your job, the harder they make it for you. <laughs> that's what I hear. Yeah. So. And it's just, I mean, I would be with the guy with the tangent stuff. Yeah. No roundabouts for me. I think, uh, I, I mean, I, I agree a hundred percent with everything you guys said. And the bottom line is, I mean, you got to take pride in what you do. I mean, it's, whether you're staking, you know, curb or rough grade or what, it doesn't matter what you're doing, take pride in what you're doing. And a lot of the stuff that both of you guys described, um, comes from experience and comes from having good mentoring. You know, Jason, you mentioned uh, your mentor, and I know who your mentor was, and um, he set you off on uh, on the right path. He taught you things right, you know, in the beginning of your career. Um, so it's, it's, it's important for guys like you and Brandon to, you know, mentor that next generation for sure. Yeah, it's very important. Ken, I was just going to say that, that when you said mentoring, that's, that's another thing we struggle with is, you know, guy, when they come back and say, hey, this guy – couldn't get him off his phone all day. Well, if that was me, my mentor would grab my phone and throw it in the trench, grab a shovel full of dirt, 
and bury it. Or if I couldn't, if I was breaking hubs, you run over and kick my bucket and hubs would scatter everywhere. I have to clean it up. And, you know, I mean, and that's a little extreme. Yeah. And I was lovely at thick enough skin, but just the understanding of you guys got to keep everyone engaged and that because they end up being button pushers because the second, and this, especially in this current market conditions, the mm-hmm. second they run that GPS, someone's giving them a truck and keys and calling them a crew chief and sending them out there, you know, and I think that's, they're missing a lot of that. You know, we used to say, Hey, you need to, you need to swing a hammer for six months first because there's an art to that and you can't teach anybody how to swing a hammer until you've completely learned how to swing a hammer. So I don't, I don't want to use the buzzword, buzzword hazing, but maybe a little bit of ribbing is what a little bit, uh, a little <laughs> bit you, know, <laughs> you know, I mean, nothing inappropriate exactly, or dangerous, exactly, but you yeah. know, just a little something, something to keep them honest. Yeah. Uh, right. Let's switch gears a little bit and talk about project controls. Uh, Brandon, talk about managing scope, creep, schedule, and budget. You're, you're the man in charge now. So, well, scope creep, you know, I think is again, it's communication. My relationships currently with in this new venture are with people that I've, I feel comfortable with. Um, one, I, I know their scope because I re- wrote it for them. You know, the, there are people who understand that there's a level of service that I'm going to try and provide. And it doesn't mean it's the best fee, but it could be the best service. And even if, and that service doesn't change. If I win a job and I'm the low bid, they understand that, hey, I'm going to get the same amount of service. Just know that the next project you probably won't are going to get this fee because um, you know, and that's, and that's tough because every, every client has a little bit more of a PETA factor, right? A pain in the ass factor where you have to figure in this guy's super needy or he always hires these crappy contractors to do his job. And I know there's going to be extra work. And so um, it's a big, it's a a big challenge because you have to manage, you got to win the job, but you got to be, so your fee has to be where everyone's looking for the low guy, you know, and then you also have to cover yourself. Um, so what I try and do is ride that fence and not be um, the cheap guy with the cheap scope and look to make it up in change orders because it's just, it's all I hear is bad stuff about constantly being changed with, you know, Oh man, I got another back charge. I had to go across the, the street to stake a property corner and it was just one and I got a $600 charge. The guy was out there. It didn't take any time, you know? So we do a lot of things like that and they don't get billed for it. And so that when I do send the change order, somebody understands that, Hey, this was legit staking or it's the communication up front. So I, I try and lose a lot of times they, you know, a home builder will have a project superintendent on site and he wants everything to go through him. And so the contractor will get this list of things and then he'll call me and the, you know, it's like the, the whisper game, right? You go around the circle and by the time it gets to me, it's not exactly what he wanted. Right. So it goes back to Jason, like you said, being the communicator in the field, but if it looks like it's an out of scope item or it looks like it is extra, I don't, I don't even march out there until I've got approval with somebody and I don't, I'm not big about sign this need approval. It's more just a conversation of, of you know, I have those relationships with clients to say, Hey, th- this isn't in my scope or this is an extra. And a lot of times it's like, well, I'm going to send them the bill for, it, or they don't need that. I'll just tell them to do this and this. And so a lot of it can be headed off with, I mean, we just got called to be out first thing tomorrow morning to set blue tops for a valley gutter that's connecting two pieces of concrete, you know, and I'm, it's not in my scope. And really what the concrete guy is looking for someone to blame if I go out there and bust it, they don't want to be responsible for the concrete. And so I, I called him and said, listen, I'm, I'm going to connect the A to B. That's what your guy could do with a string line. And, and basically he's like, you yeah, know, you're right. I don't need you guys doing that. So it saved me having to write him a change order, not to mention taking on the liability of $10,000 in concrete um, by, by not getting enough sleep tonight or calculating my slope the wrong way or something silly. Um, but, 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 the, but I avoid those type of deals. So we do a lot of things. Uh, a lot of small things and don't send back back charges or not back charges, but change orders. So that when 
I do send them. They're substantial enough. They understand. And, and then, you know, we still end up making, still doing fine. Um, as long as our changers get paid, that's always a challenge there too. Yep. It's all, uh, again, <laughs> all circles back to communication, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, you, you could have gone out there and, and set those stakes for that guy in that Valley gutter, but instead you made a phone call and like, Hey, come on, you know, they can do this. You know, you don't need me to come out there and, and right. do that for you. So that was that was a, a great example of that. And of course, you know, when the the scope changes or, or you know tends to change, um, you know, that's probably going to throw off the schedule. It's going to throw off the budget. So you just kind of have to keep in mind that when one thing changes, you know, that triple constraint, all those things are affected. Um, Jason, what what do you want to add to that? You know, um, that's what I kind of was when he talked on Brandon with there was the change orders of in the field um i don't mind as i tend to see the scopes i actually have doug print you know and look at yep. them so that way i know what i'm actually going out there where i know if it's not a in our budget or in our change order and you know if there's three or four stakes knocked down and he's like hey can you restake those you know as long as i'm there and i have time i just do it it's not there now you know there's 20 missing now that's a changer. Now you're going to get restaked for that. Yeah. Um, but I do think that part of it is the party chiefs should take responsibility to be read through the scope, take that initiative so that they know for that sure. they're not doing things that may, they may think it's in the scope. And now that billing of they're, they're doing curb stakes and all of a sudden he's asking them to do this and he's like, Oh, well we're getting paid to do it. And now it's getting billed in there and not communication. So I think, you know, that, that'll cut off half that problem of your schedule. Oh, yeah, absolutely, for sure. Um, I think we've talked about quality control and things that, you know, that we can do on these construction sites to, um, you know, to to promote that, I guess. Uh, is there anything, Jason, you want to add to, like, quality control? It's kind of hard, like I said. I mean, without taking pictures or little video of everything you do, um, you can only do the best you can and it's your word against somebody else's word um, and just keeping as best notes as you can. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we, what we try and do a lot of times is um, we're working on, it's always a work in progress. You know, I think finding different ways, trying different things. Um, we, we try and locate, you know, all of our points after we stake it, we shoot it. And that, that can be a little bit more tiresome because you've also got to, that's a little bit extra time, but there's gotta be someone in the field that could say, Hey, you know, but, but we've caught a lot of things that way. Um, I think a lot of it is telling your chief, all right, let's just stop and just look down the line you just did. I mean, it is really that simple from just looking up from your data collector, looking up for a minute and just being like, okay, there's a hydrant here and you got to, you know, you have an offset. Now you're putting the hydrant in the street. I mean, so just little things like that can be um, having a good mentor is always good to say, let's just stop for a second or let them make the mistake and then say, okay, what did we do wrong here? You know, there was so many steps pre GPS that we did, yep. you know, pulling steel chain across the street. I mean, just all these things that you would, that were assignments, you know, going over level notes in the drive back to the office that, you know, that, that are hard because people just feel like it's, you know, they don't understand it. And I think the volume of work we get going sometimes is like, eh, it's a few thousand bucks to buy this and buy that. Well, you start tarnishing the relationships, you know, back charges are expensive, but it also raises the red flag of, you know, your abilities and your crew's abilities. And then that affects your, Hey, you got a job. Sure. But do they really want to deal with that again on the, on the next job? You know? Yeah, no doubt. And you mentioned, you know, back charges. I don't want to spend a ton of time on this, but they happen unfortunately. And Hey, we're all human. We all make mistakes. Sometimes we get hit with back charges and we have to take, we just have to take our medicine on that stuff, you know, but it's, it's, I think unbelievably, 
um, valuable to accept responsibility. Like if a mistake is made and there's a back charge involved, you just got to kind of, you got to, you got to be accountable for that. Yeah, I completely agree. And that, that's, I think that's, you know, I could tell a story about a very expensive one that happened a few days before Christmas years ago. And we're literally standing on the side of the road, looking at a half mile of concrete that had the first layer of pavement down that was three and a half feet off at the end of it, you know? And so into, into a dirt field, the future improvements of who knows when it's coming down the road, we'll probably just get topoed and a taper. But I mean, it was all these discussions of like doing the right thing, you know, just on a new client, we just picked up this client and it was uh, first big job with them. And so I was just like, man, and literally like Christmas, you know, I mean, <laughs> this one ended up being north of a hundred grand for us because we just couldn't, it was a, it was a claim, but it was as simple as just not checking in at the end, you know, and that was one of the things that, that was a painful, painful discussion because the town we met with the town about leaving and the town said, Nope, it's not per plan. Rip it all out. I mean, mm. uh, it was just, you know, yeah. anyway, but if I look back now, that, that was probably five to six times that amount of work that we ended up getting, yep. you know, and, and it, that's a big picture look at it. Right. I mean, it's so, and that's, that's the quality of a good crew chief too, is big, man, yep. this one's on me. You know, I, I get it. And, and, and then, and that's, that takes a lot more, but it's easier for a manager to say, Hey, let's, let's learn from this. Let's talk, let's get everyone together. What happened, you know, and it's not a throw you under the bus or make an example of you. It's let's discuss this. And how do we avoid this? What could you have done? What, what would you suggest? And a lot of times the same, assumptions the same problems that everyone you realize everyone would have made the same mistake you know and so it's it's a it's a feel good for them it gets expensive yes but it's on to the next job on to the next task you can't you know you can't get too worried about um, those type of problems that you just never can move forward yep the one thing you mentioned there um do your checks do your checks at the beginning of the day do your checks throughout the day do your checks at the end of the day um it could save you a lot of heartache for sure uh jason you got anything to add to that yeah, I mean, I think one of the biggest things was mentor. You can make a mistake as long as you catch it, you know. And it, and whether you didn't catch it right then, but after going back, a mistake happened, and somebody's caught it, somebody else caught it. You can catch it. You can actually see yourself now what you did wrong, and then you learn from it. Yeah, and it's just sometimes common sense is worth its weight in gold. You know, I mean, <laughs> just take a step back and look at it and be like, does this make sense? And if it doesn't, take another look at it. You know. Yeah, I've yeah, definitely. Gets, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, even with my my instrument guy now. I mean, there's times we'll be staking curb and stuff like that, and just out of the blue, I'll be like, "Fill two feet," and everything's been like, "Fill forty two hundreds or something." Yeah. And he'll be like, "Huh? Yeah. Did you say that right? Yeah. You know, what I mean, and it's so you're like almost like, testing him. Yeah, that's just funny. A little bit, yeah. just because then it makes him realize and yep. pay attention to what I'm talking. Well, then you about. know he's paying attention. Exactly. Or, yeah, yeah. For sure. I love that. That's that's the hazing, I guess. Ryan's yeah. talking about over there, but <laughs> we, we we actually had a we actually put a benchmark on the tailgate of our truck, and we would tell the guys, "Hey, <laughs> anywhere we go, we got a benchmark." You know, and so same thing. We would put the rod on on your foot. I mean, there's always ways to say, or it's upside down because you you see people doing a lot of hand waving and like everything's just going too good something's got to be wrong and so i think those are the things that um that's the mentoring aspect of things you know i think that there's always something to look at there's always something to check you know this this that this mistake that happened there wasn't really anything down there but there was a hydrant you know the hydrant was in and it was right and if he had just let me just this should be 20 feet right let me just go over here and check it we would have caught it in it yeah just like that yeah it happens right it is as long as you don't make the same mistake over and over again you know you got to learn from those mistakes that's the key to that um 
So project closeouts, uh, as built, are always an absolute pain in the ass. Let's face it. I'm curious how what kind of things you guys do to make that not such a pain in the ass, Jason. What about as built? Try to just keep up on them in the beginning. You know, while you're out there doing something, if you have that time and it's already put in, there's curb already in, there's hydrants or water valves in, and you're there and you're staking the curb and the hydrants, shoot it as you're going. Just kind of collect it as you're going. I mean, it doesn't take very long to take one shot while you're out there. Yeah. Um, I found that that's helped us at Bowman a little bit just to kind of yeah. Just staying up. on top of it, yeah. And right. that also, I mean, that's in a situation where, like, the same party chief is going back to that job and nobody else is going back. Once you start mixing in a bunch of different party chiefs, yeah. things kind of go off the rails a little bit, unfortunately, unless there's amazing communication and amazing field notes and that type of thing. But I, I totally agree with that. And one other thing I end up doing is I take my plot sheets. I highlight them in different colors. Yeah. This has been as built on this such and such date. This yep. has been done on this such and such a date. That way it keeps record where if somebody else does go out there and they have the folder, they can open that setup of points and they can say, okay, he already staked this. Now it is a restake because somebody else is going out there. Yep. So. Yep. Good point. Uh, Brandon, what do you got to add to that? Uh, well, I was hoping you were going to have the answer, Kent, to Asbilts. I wish I, I, I did, made man. It, I, always, <laughs> I always make the joke. I could have, I pulled up crew chief meeting minutes from 2009 <laughs> yeah, and topic right. one. And then and 20 years later, it's the same thing, you know, and I, and I think it's important what Jason said is that, we have this mentality is like, you know, you can think has it been shot, the best is to just shoot it. But then we ran into the issues of we had nine valve shots, you know, or had some guy who, who got crazy and shot a bunch of bends and they forgot to change the code and then they're all valves. So that's always a challenge. And we, we drew our best to put the same crew on every side. And that just, you know, if you're going to be in a service oriented mentality of construction, it's just hard. It's hard to, it's hard to be that guy who's, if you're going to be better than your competition, you're, you can be there tomorrow or you can be there in an hour or you're going to take care of what they need. Um, yeah. That becomes difficult because a lot of times it's the whoever, you know, the guy's probably got the job in his data collector, but he doesn't have a set of prints with him. So he's going to swing by and he's going to shoot. Well, the process is after that. Like Jace, you know, you can do all that. If somebody doesn't download it or someone doesn't mm -hmm. make it to a set of plans, we'll download. Yeah, everything's in here. We download a file and the whole east side of the site's been shot a hundred times and nothing on the west side because mm -hmm. so-and-so thought it. I loved hearing the like the field note aspect comes to that where uh, we used to carry and we try to now even as a set of plans that's just for asbolts and it's you know it's beat up but it, it's highlighted on the ends and you yep. know which set it is and so if it's time to start plotting those onto a good set of plans uh, you know what to grab and then it's easy to find out what's missing I, I always think that that's um, you know we we had do our best to word it in our proposals of give me forty hour notice or open mm. trench and I want to shoot it or or we'll we'll make you rip it up which you know is rarely going to happen but um, then that also becomes a you're getting called at you know I got I got some sewer staking going in Maricopa right now and they got twenty five manholes well I don't want to drive the Maricopa twenty five times to shoot a manhole mm. right so that's the balance of like I don't have the budget for that I can't put the budget in there right but at the same time I want to know those inverts are correct because I'm ultimately I got to tell this guy. Yeah, you got it doesn't flow one way or the other. So, so asbolts are always a struggle. We, we I mean, uh, we're trying to start, you know, being three months old here in business. That was always one of the things that I, I swore up and down that I would be better at. So yep. we're coming up on our first project <laughs> and I'm like, wow, this is quite the time consuming, you know, but, but anyway, it's, it's, it's always a challenge. I don't, I don't have the magic. Uh, if I did, I'd, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't have to be here. I would have sold that to every yeah, no doubt. <laughs> for sure. I mean, as built, I mean, they're going to make and break the product, make or break the project at the end. You yeah. Know? Well, and, yeah. You say, yeah, you say close out. Sorry. I was going to say yeah, that. No, close out. That, that's it. That's the last taste. You know, that's the last taste the client has in your mouth, you know, and that's, yep. 
it's like that we, we pay some little attention to it in a project, but then at the end, yeah. it's and you, like, you can't budget enough. Like if you budgeted enough yeah. that needed to go in the as built, you wouldn't win any projects. No doubt about yeah. it. Yeah. Um, and let's talk about communication when it comes to project closeout. I think it's super important here as well because you definitely want to you want to leave that project with the client having a good taste in their mouth. So you want to communicate with them. You know, maybe even have a discussion about what worked, what didn't. You know, just have that simple discussion with them. And I guarantee you, like Brandon said earlier, you know, you, that's probably going to be you're going to get repaid with additional work from that client if you have those discussions. Yep, and the communication with the the contractors too. I mean, I you know, I just had. Uh, recently had a project that was a bore on a very busy road and and he was like hey we're going to slurry and i'm like i can't get out they were slurring in the next 30 minutes i'm supposed to drop everything and so i just talk through them with hey are my stakes there can you see it can you can you put a tape measure on it give me a down the top of the asphalt and my you know and and it and that relationship is there's trust involved and then those guys you know it so many times those become the enemy in the field with the crew chief but yet you don't know what kind of relationship that guy has with that owner. You know, I mean, he, he could be the guy who makes or breaks your next project because you made him tear up, or you made him stop work because you needed to drive out there and shoot it for five minutes instead of allowing them to go, but just opening that line of communication. So I think there's ways of going about not having to shoot every single little thing. And that's when you start developing the trust, you know, uh, with the contractors, you can trust the word. I mean, it takes some, you have to verify that they actually you know, are doing what they're saying, but Yep. At the same time, that I think the communication is important. As well. Absolutely, no question, yeah. no question. Jason, you got anything else to add to that? No, not really. That's he hits it right on the note. I think, like you said, uh, we're walking away for a closeout. If that superintendent can walk away and that party chief, he can say, "I want him back." Yep, that's going to win the work. It doesn't matter what the office did. Yep, it's, it's whether you have that good report. That's what's going to win the work. Yep, no yep. question, no question. Your lifeline, Coochie, see your lifeline out there for sure. <laughs> yep, if you uh, if if they ask you to go off for a beer, that's just a bonus, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> I've had a couple after um, after the curb staking is complete. <laughs> then, correct, then, correct. Yeah. <laughs> I had a couple uh, Christmas presents this year from some superintendents. So yeah, that's awesome. Nice. That's good. Yeah, that, that, no, you know you're doing a good job when that happens. That's for sure. All right, so we've gotten through that kind of like the um, the life cycle of a project. So. With all of that, this is going to be a good one. So why do, why do professional land surveyors insist on racing each other to the bottom when it comes to pricing, construction, staking projects? Just based on all the risk that's involved, everything we've just talked about, but yet there's still guys out there that are winning this work because they're doing it for pennies on the dollar. Yeah, I don't. I, I was that guy. Yeah, I, I was, was that guy. Say, I mean, like, that was a lot of deep breaths right there. Yeah. It was a, <laughs> ooh. Yeah. Well, he went there. Yeah, yeah. but I mean, it's, it's it's probably again. I go back to my very first statement before we started this conversation. It's probably the riskiest work that we do as surveyors, but yet we have this. I don't know why, but we just race ourselves race to the bottom as far as pricing this stuff goes, you know, but going back to everything that you guys talked about, Brandon, you hit on it. You are, when you get a project, like you said, you know, you get a project with a new client, you may have, you know, bid it low to get the work, right? Totally respectable. I get that. But throughout that project, you're going to build enough value with that client that the next project, they may not even go out and price it out you're going to get it because you provided a good service. They're going to be like, Hey, give me a fair fee. You do great work. You're going to get the job. And I tell you that um, from being a, you know, a bottom feeder, because I'm sure anybody listened will say that that's what I, I've been and I was, or maybe I still am. But I think a lot of the 
the efficiency that goes into, you know, one, your crew chief, the mentoring of that. Um, coming out of the recession, man, we slid that bar down to win, win, win. And and on a couple of occasions, we won money on those jobs that, you know, when I, I remember coming out of the recession and calling my mentor and being like, hey, I'm bidding my first subdivision. I mean, what what should I be? He's like, don't do anything less than $450 a lot. So I bid the yeah. thing and it went for 220 a lot. Yep, and I, yep, yep. I remember thinking, oh man, I'm like so far out of the game, but, but yeah. um, ended up picking up that work at the tail end because they failed and ended up making a little bit of money on it. And so it wasn't that I wanted to stay there, but you got, you got to know where you can go. Right. I mean mm-hmm. that, and I think that's what, you know, as, as a life cycle of projects go, you know, you, you get 10 projects into curb stake and you don't have any in rough grade or wherever. I mean, that, that's a scary time because things are closing out. And so mm-hmm. I think what used to, not a lot of times will affect my ability is like, Hey, where are we at with workload? And I think, this new venture has allowed me to not have to be the local guy all the time, you know, that, that the callbacks, the, Hey, is your scope covered? I mean, those are all relationships that get built. I have to not be there, but yeah, I mean, it's still, I mean, I just got feedback on a job that I was, I was low by a hundred thousand bucks, you know, mm. and I, and I look at my scope and I'm like, and, it, and I honestly feel like I could have made money on it. And yeah. so there's either a part of me that's, that's, um, you know, it's the unicorn out there that I feel like, Maybe I think it's me staking when I was in my twenties, um, but at the same time, you know I don't have a relationship with that guy, so he didn't trust me enough, and so that's fine. I appreciate that too. Those relationships are, you yeah. know, you're not like um, always the low bidder and always plugging you in because you're the low bidder. That that's just that's just grounds for disaster. So eventually they got to start. Mm. You know, the overhead's going to come. But yeah, I feel like yep. I don't know why. I mean, it's always a race, and I feel like a lot of it has to do with just workload. Everyone just gets. You know, we used to have a fire sale when things are getting slow. Go yeah. win these. I remember when I first moved out here, like 2005, 2006, when things were going absolutely insane. And, you know, I would send off like, you know, two, $300,000 staking proposals. And like within 20 minutes, I'd have a signed contract back. You know, nobody was even looking at the fee. They're just like, if you can get to it, go for it type thing, yeah. you know. Um, but I mean, I, to be honest, I worked for a company um, a number of years ago that live that that life i guess of being the lowest we were the lowest on every single project we bid on and it was just like you're continually to feed the machine you didn't make money on any project basically but you're continually feeding the machine to kind of keep things going and that is a very dangerous way to live um and it came back to bite them unfortunately but i i I can totally relate you know i I know what it's like being on both sides of that for sure yeah, definitely. And I, th- I feel like a lot of the win, 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 low guy, that that's important. But I think that, you know, not just always being concerned about um, what learning opportunities do you have during this? How efficient can you be? What are ideas? And you open things up to like Jason, who's on the site every day to say, hey, I've got you doing it this way. But if you feel like there's a better way that gets us the same result, you know, giving those guys the freedom. And that's where I was cut loose a lot of times and was mm-hmm. like, no, no, let's do this and this and this. And it, and it isn't necessarily that it's game changing, but it could be a big difference of like a no profit and a 10% profit, you know, because sure. all the days I ran low and everybody hated me and everyone went to APLS meetings because I was afraid I was going to get jumped in the parking lot. I was making money. We were handing out bonuses, you know, but that was the key. What I felt like was we constantly challenged our efficiency of our crew chiefs. We constantly challenged them to be, you know, to where can you save a dime? Where can you save a dollar? Do you need to be here? Can you pick that up on the way? I mean, it was, and, and it's a sliding scale of like, you know, then all of a sudden you're being super efficient and where are the field notes and the field notes are gone, you know, mm-hmm. oh crap, we need the field notes back. Oh crap, we're losing money again. So it's like yeah. finding that, you know, that sweet spot. It's a constant balancing act for sure. Yeah. 
No doubt about it. I would have one. I want to circle back on one thing. Um, and we had this conversation on, a, on another podcast where somebody had proposed the idea of there being like, um, I don't know, a, a, a structured license for surveyors, like almost like the medical field mm-hmm. member where if you, when you, you pass like the, uh, the initial LS exam, that kind of gives you the leeway to do certain kind of work, but then there'd be a certificate, like a certificate to do ALTA surveys, a certificate to do construction staking, specializing, it. specializing it. Yeah. I'm just curious what your thoughts are on that, Brandon. Uh, well, I, that, that's interesting because I feel like it would put a new level of, um, maybe of appreciation on a certain, you know, profession that, because I always, day one of my survey career in the Valley was rolling up into a job site and saying, are you, you know, so are you an alcoholic or a drug addict? Every survey I know is the same, you know, and I remember that like it was yesterday and I'm like, I'm not, I'm not going to be that guy, you know? And I feel like um, <clears throat> a lot of it is, um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, I lost my train of thought. That's weird. <laughs> He'd have a Vienna finger. Hang on. It was all the alcohol and drugs. Finger, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what was your question again? Uh, no, Sorry, about Ken. like the like having a, a certificate, like to be a construction staking surveyor. In addition, yeah, I've, yeah, yeah, totally. Sorry, and, yeah, no, and no, I feel fine. like that when I so I I got into construction staking from day one, and then for like two years solid, did rough green property pins. All I did every day, and I got sick of it. Um, got out of it for a little bit and realized I really liked it. And it was more of watching the project get built. I didn't realize I just needed to be challenged more. So in 2007 and 08, I was working to get licensed and it was a total kick to the teeth, you know, because there was probably, there's 300 questions or some odd. And I think 25 of them are, Hey, can you calc the slope from this finished grade pavement to this gutter grade? Here's your fall. Here's your rise. You know, it was very basic (laughs) math. I'm like, I got this. And I burned through those in five minutes and then, you know, I mean, I failed the LSIT three times, you know, and that was a lot of it was me trying to take, go to seminars and learn and learn and learn. And and, and it was frustrating because I really just got licensed to sign as Seriously, it's like, mm. you know, the, the partner that I partnered up with, that's his forte is mm-hmm. the legal, we call it legal, the legal aspect of survey, right? Surveying, right? The, the LTAs, the topos, the boundaries, the stuff, the important stuff. <laughs> and, uh, but that's, I knew that when I come into this business, I needed a partner that could specialize in that because I wasn't going to be, uh, that really wasn't my forte. And it, and so I realized this is all I know how to do. So I got to do my best to make a living at it. So it would have been nice. Yeah. I think that's something that, you know, I, that someone could be proud of because mm. a lot of times that's why I feel like I'm, I just have it to be silent, seal asbels. That's it. I mean, it's basically like, you know, yeah. and, and I got to order another 500 caps for this subdivision, you know, like how many thousands of my caps are out there in the world. And it, it makes me a little nauseous, but yeah, good point. Well, we've definitely covered a lot here, gentlemen. Yeah. I am impressed with the wealth of knowledge we've accumulated here. Um, let's start out with you, Jason. Is there anything else we've not touched on that you want to add to the conversation? <sighs> No, I think I think we hit everything that we could possibly be from start to finish on the construction <laughs> site. <laughs> it was it was a thorough yeah, covering of it all. It really was in a short amount of time. You want to throw in like a Go Cubs or Go Bears or something? Just, uh, no, they're just, done just till for next the records. Year. No, they're done till next year. So, but I'll say I'll I'll jump on the bandwagon and go Chiefs though. Oh, good man, good man, Tampa Bay baby. I'm, I'm I'm fully on board with Hudson. What about you, Brandon? Anything else to add? Uh, I'm probably the reason we ran long because I have a jabber jaw, but mm. I, I think this I'm pretty passionate about construction staking and I feel like it, it totally is the black sheep of the surveying community. And I, I've really done, it's really been successful for me. And we, you know, just, I don't know if it's the systems or 
uh, what we've come up with, but, you know, I, I really enjoy it. I know there's a lot of people out there that really enjoy it. And so I, hopefully it, you know, it can get a better name, a little more respectable. So yeah, put some respect on my name. And congr- congrats I, on uh, <laughs> opening your own business too. That's awesome. Yeah. And when I saw that, I was like, Oh, this is great. It's In the awesome. middle of a pandemic, yeah. no less. Yeah. yeah. That's impressive. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah thank uh, you. Already growing, already growing. Yes. Um, what else? I, I, I got to ask this real oh, quick. Go for real it. quick. I, I do it. this all the time. The add value, make friends question special. Uh, we'll start with Brandon. Do you have a mantra that you live by? Uh, you, you know, I'm a very old school, old soul guy. Like I'm very much a handshake guy. This pandemic has been super tough for me, but like I'm, I'm very much a man of my word. Like, and I, you know, I'm 44. And so that uh, that's a really problem I have with some of the newer generation. I have two boys I'm trying to raise and like a handshake is like the most important. So I feel like a little bit of classic rock and a handshake, I could go, you know, I could stake any subdivision out there and I don't need a contract. Um, but nowadays everyone will tell me how dangerous that is. And I guess we'll find out now that I'm doing my own thing, but um, I really am like uh, just, just a man of my word. I really, really believe in just handshake deals or I guess it's just, or, you know, whatever we're doing now. I, I'm going to bear like narrow it down to no cold fish handshakes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Those are the okay. worst. Those are the worst. Oh man. I yeah. instantly yeah. just write Awful. somebody off with that thing. <laughs> yeah. What right. about you, Jason? You got a mantra? Ah, uh, actions speak louder than words. There you go. That's it. Yeah, I like it. Man, a few words, good but they're stuff. powerful stuff. Lead by example, right? <laughs> exactly. Yep, good yeah. stuff. Well, hey, Brandon, Jason, I uh, I can't thank you guys enough for hanging out with us tonight. This is awesome. Uh, I think this is a great uh, foundation. Let's see what I did there for future uh, uh, conversations uh, about uh, construction yeah. staking. You guys, you guys nailed it for sure. So I really appreciate that. Yeah, no, it's been great. I, yeah. This is a, a first for me, but I love, you know, I could talk about construction staking, Chevrolets, CrossFit. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we'll have you guys back on again yes. in another time. Hopefully you Absolutely. can come back and join us. All right. Great. Well, that's a wrap, boys. Has put a bow say. on it. Yep. Another awesome value adding show, I must say. Please be sure to check us out at thegeoholics.com. Follow us on all reputable social media outlets by searching for The Geoholics. Download all our podcasts from just about everywhere. And don't forget to download the Geoholics app from landsurveyorsunited.com. Send us an email at info at thegeoholics.com if you want to come on as a guest on a future show or have content ideas. We'd love to hear from you. Last but not least... Please support our amazing friends of the program every chance you get. Be sure to mention that you're a geoholic for extra special VIP treatment. You might get asked to go to the VIP suite. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Nice. Pay it forward. Add value. Make friends. Jefferson Starship. We built this city. Available everywhere. As always. And until next time, be safe and healthy, everybody. Thank you. Once again, thank you to our friends of the program, Aerotech Mapping, Inc. at ATMLV.com, Advanced Geodetic Surveys, Inc. at AGSGPS.com, Bad Elf GPS at Bad-Elf.com, Cobb Fenley at CobbFenley.com, Cyanic Automation at CyanicAutomation.com, Diamondback Land Surveying at DiamondbackLandSurveying.com, Get Kids Into Survey at GetKidsIntoSurvey.com. Land Surveyors United at LandSurveyorsUnited.com. Mentoring Mondays at MentoringMondays.xyz. Monson Engineering at MonsonEngineering.com. Parkland Community College at Parkland.edu slash LandSurveying. Safety Apparel at SafetyApparel.us. Tiger Supplies at TigerSupplies.com.